Hello, I'm Susan Gibbony, and we're, this class is called Don't Squander the Gift, Respecting, Serving, and Mobilizing Our Seniors. So anyway, welcome everybody. Glad to see you. Uh, I was telling some of you uh, as they were coming in that I was hoping, and we, I'm sure we do, certainly we would have seniors, but I want people who are ministering to seniors. So we'll talk about but a little bit about myself. Uh, I am a senior citizen, well into we said that, but I'm thankfully and gratefully in good health, physically, I think mentally, <laughs> and spiritually, and that's a blessing for all of us, I think. I'm the mother of three children, 10 grandchildren, and as of a month ago, two great-grandchildren. So of course we love that, they call me, I'm great-grandma, so I'm Gigi. Okay, I'm a teacher, professor, dedicated and active Christian. I'm a widow, don't like that title, but I am. They all knew my husband well. Uh, uh, I'm a cancer survivor, bravo. I've experienced a lot of grief and loss in my life and a lot of caregiving, which I'll share. So that's where some of those come from. Uh, and now um, I'm about to move. And so I'm downsizing. I live on campus. I've been here over 30 years. And so got a lot of downsizing, but it's a great big three-story condo. And I navigate it fine. I tell the doctor I do the Stairmaster every day, and it's good. But uh, after my chemotherapy, I did get neuropathy in my feet, which means I'm strong, but not always a little wobbly. Maybe old age is that too, who knows. Uh, but anyway, my kids said, Mom, it's really time for you to move in a one-story house. So I'm, I am, it's a big transition, and all of you, maybe some done that, but I am definitely downsizing. But this class is certainly for our seniors, but also those, and it includes all of us too, who minister to seniors. Um, I'm sure all of you are in that kind of role. Forgive me if I kind of stand here more because of this, but also uh, our time is so limited, and so I want to be sure to kind of get through some things, and hopefully we'll have time for some discussion. But you know, when you say uh, you're a senior citizen, but what does that mean? How old is that? You know, is there a magic age that makes this? I, that definition, sometimes maybe to get into some places with discounts or whatever it might, but is it 50 or 55 or 60 or 65 or 70? I don't know what we consider a senior citizen exactly. There's no exact age stereotypes, but it's good to understand what their kind of the upgrade, up, upbringing and experience that our history has for us. In fact, I teach, uh, among other things, uh, human development. And one of the interesting studies we found that when you're 10 years old, that's kind of when you, what's the word, you kind of lock into the history of what's happening at that time. Doesn't mean you don't change, but it means that that's kind of your worldview in some ways. So that means, that, of course, if I was talking to parents or my students, it means basically that's when they're imprinted a lot with the attitudes, with what they hear from their parents, what they experience in faith, uh, but also what's happening in history. So that may be part of it. Um, you know, during uh, some, some maybe grew up in the Great Depression or during or after World War II, which taught us self-sacrifice, 
doing without, even though we did not feel deprived. I remember, I remember when World War II ended and, and all of that. But you know, it's just kind of life, and my parents navigated it well, I guess, because I never felt like poor pitiful us, anything like that. Our family supported each other and did not expect uh, government handouts. They kind of moved in, my parents moved in with their in-laws and kind of helped each other, and that's just kind of what they did for that generation. That generation, or sometimes our seniors, tend to be more conservative, conforming, rule followers, which can limit us sometimes, but also frustrate others, as we know sometimes. We're generally people of high moral values and are loyal to country, organizations like church and the family. We've experienced incredible changes, and I mean incredible. Hello, come in. There's some handouts there as you come in and uh, just the handouts are only if you want to take notes. I went, didn't do a PowerPoint, which I could. I'm moving, as you said, and a lot was going on. I thought it's not that important, so I did a just good old handout. Okay, um, but we've experienced, as I said, a lot of rapid change and pace in, in our lives that provide sometimes difficult and frustrating times for us, especially with technology, as I was just saying here. Um, it's very different from a typewriter. I mean, I grew up with a typewriter, and we're see, I see smiles. When we got the electric type, typewriter, wow, you just push the button and it returns, so we didn't have to do the lever. We thought that was big time. Well, look where we are now. Uh, anyway, so we like to be approached, I think, patiently and with reason, with change. Uh, yay for our grandkids who can help us with that a lot. We're thankful for that. So anyway, why this topic? You know, don't squander the gift. The gift of seniors, the gift of age, that's a gift that we have. We want to respect, serve, and mobilize them, okay? Billy Graham said, all my life I've been taught how to die, but no one taught me how to grow old. <laughs> when you think about that, our seniors are a gift if they're respected and used respectfully. Seniors, we can be a gift if we understand our value. Seniors are a gift if they're allowed to serve. In Psalm 71, 16 through 18, it says, excuse me, so it's walking a photographer out there. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me to this day, I will declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, okay, all of us raise our hand, uh, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. So, you know, we want to kind of leave that behind us. It's not all about me. It's about my world, the generation, all those grandkids or great-grandkids that we have. And then Luke 2, 25 through 38 says, you know, where we read about seniors, they're welcomed, they announced Christ, Simeon provided a blessing, and Anna gave thanks and worshipped. They were senior citizen pillars in their community. And there's so many heroes of faith in advanced years, such as Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Caleb and David. So we need 
part of being a senior, or really anybody, is respecting the gift of seniors. This means kind of understanding them and understanding ourselves. Basically, we are a first half of life culture with little to no consideration to the second half except for retirement financial plans and what to do with our seniors so they don't get in our way of the progressive youth. Sometimes we do feel marginalized as a senior and wonder what our purpose in our present youth culture is. To call something old usually is not complimentary, such as old idea, all outdated, old school. To call something young is generally a compliment, such as young thinking, young acting. Sometimes when we see someone we haven't seen in a long time, we say, you haven't changed at all. But that's, that is nice, but it's also like, that's good, you shouldn't change. But you know, we've changed. I, I have some friends here that I've known a long time. I recognize them instantly, it's not that. But it's okay, we change. Don't regret growing older. It's a privilege to many, including my husband, who couldn't. So I wish he could have grown old with me. The fact is that the church is graying, and few of us take advantage or understand the implications of that. In my student house group, as I said, I live on campus. I'm, I'm surrounded with the young culture, okay? I love students. I, before I came here, I taught 10 years at another college, and they're my life, you know, and I love them. And they know, they know I'm kind of old, but anyway, I, I learn a lot by having them. I feed them every Tuesday night, okay, about 18 of them. So they come probably because of the food, not because of me. Uh, <clears throat> but I had a student who said he'd visited another church, and it, but it was just full of old people. And he was uncomfortable with walkers and wheelchairs. So he said, I won't go back. So I said, well, I pointed to myself. I said, what do you think I am? <laughs> I'm an old person, uh, you know. Uh, they have trouble relating to age, and we need to kind of help them with that, uh, with some of maybe the music that we like or, or whatever it is at that time, uh, and, and other people, and, and I think that's our, our role. I had another student who said, I like young churches because old people scare me. I don't want to lose my passion for the Lord. So... We have a lot to do, I think, to be, overcome this multi-generational need in our churches. So the, the young people can witness our passion, you know. For me, again, I had the privilege of being with them, so they do see me a lot. But there's not, just to think about what our part is that. Jesus taught us not to fear those who could kill our bodies, rather to fear those who could kill both body and soul. We become obsessed at times trying to stay young so the young won't think badly of us. Aging is natural, and it's, going, it's good to encourage the senior adult to spend time glorifying God with work and good deeds rather than obsessing about trying to stay young. My guess is that the younger people actually appreciate us when they get to know us personally, and then they're not afraid of us, and they seek us out and for our wisdom and our experience. I have that privilege, but that's because I have a lot of young people around me. But I don't think they're afraid of me because they do come and they do come to classes. The psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The numbering of our days means more than just counting them. 
It might mean using our days purposely to gain wisdom and purpose well into our old age. An aging church is not a crisis, but an aging church is a vast spiritual opportunity, I think. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, and the longer we live, we know these things. No suffering, no struggle, no loss, and have found their way out of the depths. Those persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Generally, it takes years of living to become this beautiful person, and I know many who not, do not become that. So it's interesting to think about that. In lifespan development classes, our charts, it's easy to note if I had uh, one up here, that half of our adult life is lived in the middle and aging years. We kind of think, well, once the kids are gone, and it does change our life, but we still got a lot ahead of us, not the end. You know, so that's kind of interesting. In fact, I should, some studies even show that like at that point when the children leave, they feel better if they know mom and dad are happy, have something purposeful to do. They're not sitting at home moaning, saying, when will he come home? As I said, I'm with college students a lot, and they don't like that guilt. Like, I've got to go home or mother won't be, you know, I free them. You know, and then we hope they come home, they will, uh, with their friends and their luggage and their dirty clothes, okay. In 1900, the life expectancy was 47, but now it's, it, yes, and now it's up to 78 or probably more, but that's about, that's a, a general. The number of people aged 65 and older is expected to double in the next 25 years. In other words, we really need to pay attention to this population. Global aging, by 2050, one-sixth of the world's population will be over 65. Americans are more likely than ever to reach the age of 90. Interestingly, the divorce rate has doubled for those over 50. Who says we don't need marriage seminars for our senior adults? Our seniors, um, uh, our nation has more seniors than adolescents but more youth ministers than senior ministers. Older citizens are now more likely to have more money. They're good financial resources for these ministries. One in four senior adult females live alone, compared to one in 20 males. I always say that's because he doesn't know how to take care of himself, anyone, I don't know. But men have a greater chance of remarrying because the rate of senior men to women is seven to 10 and they tend to remarry younger women. So women outlive men uh, by about seven years. To a large extent, the future of the church is senior adults. I, I wanna get that message out. It's really hard sometimes because, well, anyway. So respecting and understanding seniors is vital. Seniors want to say uh, that about themselves. I do have, I forgot, my glasses are here, I forgot to. Put, put them here for me to get easily, but I, I'm going to read something briefly. I was reading this book uh, by Francine Rivers called Leota's Garden, and it was interesting to me. There was a, a paragraph or two here that I want to share, and listen 
But when I read this, listen to this woman and what she's experiencing as a senior citizen here, okay? The last time Leota had come to church, she'd been so tired and depressed, she'd known it was her last time attending church. Old age and its limitations had caught up with her. The walk to the bus stop had been fatiguing. The wait had been stressful, especially when several young hoodlums eyed her purse, seemingly waiting for possible witnesses to walk away and leave her vulnerable. Luckily, the bus had arrived and she, before she was mugged. The ride had gone smoothly, but by the time she reached church, she had a dire need of using the restroom, which was downstairs. Two or three steps were easy enough to manage, but a flight of stairs and a narrow, curving passageway was risky. She'd been bumped several times by children racing down on, uh, to Sunday school, holding tightly to the railing. She'd move slowly, afraid of falling and breaking bones. The younger, more able-bodied folks had to squeeze around her. By the time she went down the stairs into the restroom and back up the stairs to the sanctuary, she was exhausted. She sat in the back of the church, distressed and unnoticed, barely able to hear the sermon. In her sad state, the service had passed in a blur. All she could think about was the long journey home. How long would it, she have to wait for a bus? Who might be waiting at the bus stop to threaten her? She'd been so tired at that point, she sat fearfully uh, of how she would make the four block walk on the flat section before coming to the hill on which her house was built. It had all been too much for her. Life was stressful enough without adding to it. After that day, she hadn't gone back to church. The first few Sundays, she stayed home. She tried to console herself with services on television. Surely the Lord would, wouldn't mind. Yet breaking the long habit of attending church every Sunday had been heart-wrenching. And what a lonely proposition those television evangelists were with their dramatic presentations, professional singers, glitzy environments, and guilt-grinding bills for mercy. They made her feel so bad at times that she thought about sending a big chunk of her Social Security check. Instead, she turned the television off. The saddest part was that no one missed her. She'd been attending the same church for years, and when she stopped going, not one person called to find out why. She supposed if she'd been more involved, perhaps her absence would have been noticed. When she left, no one cared. For a time, she had met God in the garden, and then a precious time she stripped away as well. She wondered if it was the same with God as it had been with church. God certainly didn't need her with all the thousands out there serving him mightily. What did one uncommitted little old lady mean? She stopped speaking to God for a while, then she started again. Whom else could she talk to on long, lonely days? So, this is, this is, this is what happens. Uh, what did she need? What was, what, was, what was her need? What did Leota need? Yeah, people that, friends, people, people that noticed her. She needed transportation, she needed friendship, she needed an accessible building, a loudspeaker so she could hear, at least now they have Zoom, uh, noticed, noticing someone, visiting her, finding a way to use her. You see, this is real. This is what our ministers, shall we say, need to hear. And it's not only technology that's changing rapidly, but how we do church is changing. 
These changes, if not handled with love and understanding, can accelerate miscommunication and lower spiritual morale and fewer seniors thriving in the churches. We need to honor and show respect to seniors as we make church changes. Seniors want to feel comfortable asking questions, making suggestions, requesting help without feeling they are a problem or a burden or wrong. Again, we want to focus on ministry with seniors, not just for seniors. Hopefully many of you here are not seniors, citizens, but maybe we all are, um, and want to understand the season of life just as a youth minister would want to understand youth culture that we teach. Yet, we're probably the least considered in church plans, maybe for many reasons, fear of working with aging, thinking they'll die soon anyway, minimalizing their, e their needs, historical preoccupation with youth ministry, and I love youth ministry, I'm not putting that, I'm just saying let's look at our population. Um, a lack of curricular materials for maturing adults, and a sense that these adults do not need spiritual development, they already have it. So those are assumptions we need to address. Ageism is real, not just sexual, racial, and political discrimination. It's neither helpful nor realistic to compare most seniors to unique seniors who swim the English Channel at 70 and climb Mount Everest at 75, run a marathon at 84. I mean, really. Running a faithful life with a faithful family until death is a marathon worth acknowledging. However, it's important to remember that the elderly are also seeking the gospel. We also have a growing immigrant population that's aging. It's an aging community seeking to know more about the gospel. So it, I know Holly Allen in a book called Intergenerational Christian Foundation says, time together with all ages helps us understand and respect each other more. I ask again my house, my students, a house group of students to write their thoughts on older people and it's always fun to hear what they say. And basically they said that seniors are hard for them to approach. They would love to hear more of their stories and, and uh, have them as wise mentors. So we might be missing this opportunity. However, some said seniors tend to disregard the opinions of the younger generation and use their age to be blunt and disrespectful. Ooh, wow. One said they smell like lavender and cats and she's afraid they might break. <laughs> um. They're fun, I love my students. Interesting, I was in church recently <clears throat> sitting in an area I usually don't sit in because I was going to give an announcement so I was sitting in kind of a new area. The youth group was sitting behind me and I loved hearing them sing. After church we spoke and they said they knew me because I was the ice cream lady. I thought, okay, I think it's because in the summer, they hike up near my house, and then I always have them in my house for ice cream Sundays. Anyway, I'm the ice cream lady. But it doesn't take much to enter uh, to minister to all ages. So, you know, how are you, you known even by your youth group? Okay. A study I recently read in the Journal of Marriage and Family surmised that successful aging is rethinking and expanding one's worldview in light of new information and experiences. And we are bombarded with that, aren't we, all the time? A marker of successful aging is recognition that the process never ends, that lifelong learning requires le unlearning and rethinking sometimes. That's our challenge. 
Seniors want to say, please be patient with me as I was with you when you were a child. You were slow then, you selectively forgot things, you got sick and needed care, you had to be taught new things, you rambled on about your day and wanted me to list with, uh, listen with rapt attention. You were afraid of new experiences. You wanted me to keep you company when you were lonely, and yet you wanted independence. And that's me now. Okay? Seniors know when they're burdened to someone's schedule and sometimes want to step aside to not impede the progress of the younger and busy ones. Be sensitive to that. They want to be invited or asked because of this. Seek out a senior and tell them you need and want them. Loneliness is paramount in the senior population. Recent study from the University of Georgia said, experiences of loneliness and social isolation can lead to increased health care use among older adults. To gauge loneliness, the studied participants were asked how often they felt they lacked companionship, how often they felt left out, and how often they felt isolated from others. Well, I think the church community can really help remedy that. I mean, we can, it's, that's who we are, and we can, our community, we can remedy that. I think in understanding and respect our seniors, everybody's body is aging, not just, I mean, you know, we get to the point where it's more noticeable, I guess. It's God's plan, okay? So, some have hearing loss, so draw closer when you talk. Minimize extraneous noise. Use microphones, okay? Some have a sight, maybe blurring or loss. Use good lighting, large print, driving help. Some have mobility issues. Install handrails. Uh, give them an arm to hold. Avoid loose rugs, on, put them on one level. Leota needed all this, didn't she, okay? Some have, all have mu muscular strength that's declining, so I have sturdy chairs that they balance with. Sensitive skin is part of that, safe and comfortable te temperatures where they are. Uh, but they're still able to hold hands, see good things to do, have listening ears for hurting people. They're still of value. We want to feel like our lives are still a value, still count, and that we are leaving a legacy to this world. I think of the Grinch and Scrooge. How do we think of those names? Bad, selfish, miserly. But we forget what they were, they were at the end of the story. Kind and generous. Yet we keep these old stereotypes of them and forget how it can change. For seniors, we want to be remembered perhaps in the opposite way, not just what we were like, what we were like in our later years, but when we, were, when we were frail and forgetful and not very helpful. But I don't know about you, but I've told my kids, I hope you remember me when I was young and I had red hair and I, and you know, and I it was energetic and I used to do this and that and other. Not just now with, you know, <laughs> and they kind of laugh. But we want to remember when we were helpful and giving and professional and fun, okay? We would like our stories to be told with respect and understanding. Our, our possessions may look just like old clothes or junk souvenirs, but to us they are stories behind them and they are treasures. You might want to ask them about them sometime. Uh, I spoke at a women's group once and they said, and I thought, what kind of introductory thing could I do? And I had everybody bring 
just one small thing from their house had a story behind it. It was very interesting to see. And, and you know, if you were, I'm definitely cleaning out my house. But, you know, those little pieces that, uh, they don't want to get rid of that. I, even one time, as I say, a lot of students in my house, and I listened, I can't help but listen to their conversations because they're in my kitchen, you know. And I heard them say, this just, this looks like, an old person's house, or grandma's house, I think it said. And I loved that. I said, oh, I said, guess what? That's me. You know, but I said, why? Why, does, why do you say that? Or what do they say? They said, because you have so many pictures in your house. And it was all my grandkids and family. But so, you know, it was just, it's always fun to see what they're noticing and, and what they're about. Um, but I think these artifacts we would call. I know now for me, my grandchildren, it's interesting what they want. When I've had them take what they want, it's very fun to see what means something to them uh, at that time. And, and when they all turn 21, I have 10 grandchildren, as you said, as I said, I always have one thing that I give them that I know would be meaningful to them. One of my granddaughters just turned 21. And I had, in fact, from our trip to Africa, my husband loved a lot of things, but he got this. It's a wooden, like hippopotamus, and loved that. And we kind of used it as a doorstop. Well, one of my granddaughters loved that, so I gave her that for her 21st birthday. So, you know, it may be junk to others, but we hope it means something to others. What joy it would be to have the young spend time asking specific questions and dialogue with the elderly. Both would learn a lot and enjoy each other. Grandchildren can understand their history, lineage, and legacy more that way. Church classes be, can be encouraged to do that. You know, go visit or have them come in and tell your story. Uh, they love that. Louis uh, Cozzolino, he was a professor here at Pepperdine, was studying the healthy aging brain. And I want to quote from his work here. Quote, Another window into our deep history is the way elders and children relate to others. It's always been the job of elders to tell stories, passing them on to younger members of the tribe. Most of us have older relatives who tell the same story again and again, as if they were never told to us before. Yeah, we know that. Okay, um, as we grow older, we also tend to tell more stories from long ago as the distant past becomes increasingly salient with advancing age. Now think of who likes to hear the same stories again and again exactly the same way. In fact, they will even correct you if you get a word wrong or a fact wrong. <laughs> I had a, a daughter who liked Little Bobo and his blue jacket. I don't know how many times we read that thing. But they demand that you tell them the same story every night for weeks or months before they're ready to move on to the next one. What we're likely witnessing in these parallel processes is a genetically programmed process in both the older adult and the child to transfer stories, knowledge, and wisdom across the generations. The impulse to repeatedly tell and listen to stories appears to be a lock and key mechanism of intergenerational information transfer which fits into the child's impulse to hear them. So I guess we're more interesting uh, to others and to ourselves if you ask us. You know, that's what I'd like to see churches do a little bit more. Seniors deal 
with numerous life issues and ministering to them to those and I'll give you some examples and you maybe have others like what um, what life changes are really hitting us now or what we're one is changes in how to do church so many are challenging <coughs> theologically um, to, to the older people they just it just it's, they need help with that a little bit because unfortunately some then just don't come I can't imagine but anyway that's a, that's a challenge they secondly their struggles with the secularized world and liberal policies kind of like whoa how do I get my head around that I just I just met a young man this week he's not a student here or anything and I asked him about his family and his his siblings I think that's a reasonable question and he said well they um, I don't know whatever and I said oh it's twins but no it was I guess a, a, a sibling that doesn't declare male or female and it's they and I was like really trying to get my head around this and I want to I, anyway those are challenges maybe for everybody thirdly the feeling their life or legacy is of no worth my, my kids don't ever make me feel that way, but I know that's a possibility. Or, number four, staying in control of life and not being told what to do, but being asked. Okay, that's a challenge. And then fifth, medical issues, of course. End-of-life issues and residence. I think we need to be patient when downsizing, as that silly vase or item they hold cherished memories that are difficult to discard. Number six is loneliness, as we were reading. Number seven is parenting the adult child. Uh, you know, I remember when my oldest daughter married and left home, and I was happy with her marriage. It wasn't a problem, but I realized I was still her mother, but her home was not in my home. Oh, you know, so we kind of make those transitions. I think conflict with this is inevitable in any life transition. Again, it's like the two-year-old establishing autonomy or when they leave for college. Children are not responsible for your happiness. Ultimately, they'll lead their own lives that will bring them happiness, but independent from yourself. And gulp, we have to remember that. This is when honor continues, but obedience ends. And some quick suggestions, I think listening to them and their thinking always keep a relationship my husband always said Susie we never burn bridges in other words we just don't burn that bridge we don't maybe like the bridge we don't want to cross the bridge but it's still there you know that access is still there uh, when we think about that trust long-term results be their confident cheerleader live your life not as a burden to them but as a blessing to them and as you age allow them to help you Balance what you say and what not to say. I still struggle with that a little bit. Okay. Number eight is, of course, we have the challenge, but the joy of grandchildren. I think we need to be supportive from a distance, even if they live nearby. Offer to babysit, give parents refreshing time, know their boundaries and their preferences. I think we want to give wonderful memories to I'm so glad. I just have wonderful, of course everybody has wonderful grandkids, but I was blessed that I live fairly close to them all the time so they know me well and I know them well. And I, as I said, I have 10. I remember someone said to me, 10? Do you even remember their names? I'm like, well, yeah, I know their birthdays. And anyway, so it's, uh, it, but it is an extra 
I, I always say just more people to pray for. <laughs> it's just, you know, and a few of them are married now. It's a lot. But I love the saying. It says, cousins become best friends at grandma's house. And certainly my house was that way. They all, I mean, that was a gathering place. And I told them, even though I'm moving to something smaller, oh, that and I was grieving about that. My daughter said, Mom, it's not your house. It's you they want to see. So I try to remember that. Okay, number nine is a challenge at this time is caregiving. There's a booklet back there. In fact, those booklets are, um, I wrote some by myself, but Ed Gray, who's a professor at Harding Graduate School, he's a friend of mine, and he and I co-did a lot of that. But they're basic, basically discussion things, like if you have a group, or even if it's just two people that talk about caregiving or aging or seniors. I do have one there on, on dating and premarital, because I do a lot of premarital uh, classes, but that you can take that if you want. But you're welcome to those. Take as many as you want, because then if you're in a group, several people can have it. But anyway, it's discussion questions that have developed that, uh, and some things to consider. Anyway, Rosalind Carter said, there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. And boy, I have done a lot of that, and I've seen kind of what it takes. I think the challenge is approximately nine million Americans require long-term care. They need help with such things as the basic things, like getting out of bed, eating, dressing, cooking, and paying bills. I had a disabled sister, and, and I cared for her. She never had children, and she was uh, a widow. She hadn't been married long. But anyway, I was, my parents were gone. I'm the only sibling. And so, and I loved it, but it's, it's, a, it's a task. Less than 2 million live in nursing homes. Most live at home, cared for by family or friends. Do you know the average age of a caregiver? What would you guess? Yeah, you might say 60, it's 48. Yes, when you think, of course, people have kids at different ages. But I was a little surprised by that, too. That means they might have a long haul with this, okay? And some have to quit their jobs, and I've done a few workshops on caregiving, and it's interesting, the implications of that. Approximately 50 million Americans provide the majority of the help needed by relatives or friends who are elderly or disabled. Those figures are only going to grow, as we know. Judith London stated, caregivers are often the casualties, the hidden victims. No one sees the sacrifices they make. So to me, churches need to acknowledge the caregivers in their church. Certainly the ones they're caring for, when I cared for my husband and all, long haul. Uh, certainly we cared about him. but. Uh, the caregiver needs a lot of acknowledgement, encouragement, and help, too. So personally, I've done a lot of caregiving, as I said, with my sister. Uh, and, and, I, and the ones you care for have different attitudes. And we have to realize if dementia is setting in or something, you just can't hold them accountable for everything they say. Uh, you know, you just can't. You just have to know, just kind of overlook it and do what's best. Uh, I wanted, she lived in Long Beach. I live here teaching grandkids. My other kids were along the 101 corridor. 
I wanted her to move up here. She had nothing there. She'd just say, I want to talk about it. But I want to talk about it. You know, it was just so for about 10 years, I just... You know, I, so funny, long story, I won't tell, but I kind of tricked her into to moving. And once she got there, she said, this is really great. I want to say yes, I've been saying that for a long time. But, you know, that's part of caregiving sometimes, and I see a lot of heads nodding. Um, so that it, but it can be a confusing, stressful, time-consuming, yet good friendship and challenging your character and a lot of spiritual growth. I struggled with my mother when she was in assisted living. In fact, when she had her stroke and needed, she just couldn't stay alone. My husband was dying of cancer. My sister was the one, my sister, and here was I, and she couldn't help. And so I, I thought, I was just really stressed. I mean, that's what, what do I do? Well, long story short, there was a wonderful facility right next to the 37th and Atlantic Long Beach Church of Christ and I thought oh she would like that's right next door and with her walker she could walk there which was wonderful and I liked the place but I remembered in my head that my dad always said you never put the old people in a home Ooh, ah, I was just so like Daddy, I really want you. He was gone by then. But, you know, it's just that. that and I wanted to say, well, that's, it's different now. She has care. And I, anyway, so those are the things I think that caregivers are kind of struggling. And so I was trying to navigate all these caregiving responsibilities, but, you know, balance my own life. Two of my daughters were expecting babies. I mean, you know, really? In fact, I would drive to get my, when my mother had her stroke, I would drive to Long Beach and pick her up and we'd drive all the way out to um, the hospital that she was in out in the Reading area. And uh, I remember one time they were wheeling a lady out with a newborn baby. And I told my sister, I said, I just need to sit down and cry for a minute because it was taking my sister in a wheelchair to see my mother in the hospital and my two daughters were due to have babies soon. I mean, sometimes it's just you got to take a deep breath, and man, I did. But caring for my dying husband was probably the most emotionally and spiritually challenging time, and I know many of you. Uh, since we're living longer, older people with their own physical limitations are taking care of the elderly, and that's why the church kind of needs to maybe remember that. And uh, the important thing is always have a health care power of attorney. attorney. Let me tell you, because caring for my sister and my mom, I could pull that out, show the doctors, I can make the decisions here. They were glad, but boy, we need that and that. So how is the church helping our caregivers? And then number 10, dealing with suffering and grief. You know, at our, I'm going to, as she knows who, my sister-in-law died. She and I shared the same birthday, but this Saturday, I'm going to a funeral. Memorial, this is Judy. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that's what we do. <laughs> you know, we go to funerals maybe more than weddings or whatever. Uh, but anyway, the grief and suffering, I didn't like the word widow. I got used to it after a while. I didn't like using it particularly. Uh, but I think um, it can be lonely at church. Who do I sit with? Or do I go alone after church? No invitations. It's a whole big adjustment uh, when you're a widow. Widowers, again, it's a little different for them. Everybody takes care of them. They think he can't cook and he can't do anything, and she, oh, she knows how to do all that. So it's interesting to think. 
but in when we tried to start like a widow's group. We included the divorce or single women. I mean, but so many of them didn't want to come because they didn't want to be identified with that. So that was kind of interesting. How can the church address this unique and growing population at church? Is there only identity with a spouse or usefulness with a partner? Boy, I had to, my husband and I team taught, we were a team. It's painful to lose that. But boy, my life changed. A lot of things I did, never, you know, I don't know that anymore, kind of, you're like, yes, I do. But anyway, be sensitive to that. Even if death itself is not feared, the dying process with uh, is its sufferings and indignities offers a frightening prospect. It's important to remember the best way our, uh, people to prepare ourselves if living well is to prepare ourselves for dying well. So when we think about suffering and grief, again, there's a booklet back there. That we wrote a, like a group of friends that you have that you want to have a conversation with. That might stimulate uh, some of those conversations at that time uh, to think um, it's okay. Like people would say, well, they, I've, people avoided me a lot after my husband died. I see him some nods. And it was kind of hurtful and shocking to me. But I realized later, they said, well, I'm just uncomfortable with death, and I don't know what to say. And I wanted to say, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about me in this case. You know, you, because they're like, I don't know what to say. Well, just don't say anything. Just give them a hug or acknowledge. Don't just turn around and walk away. I, I've got a whole thing on that, but I, I won't go into all that. But just to know that, some of the things that seniors are dealing with. So those are some concerns I came up with. What about you? Did, did I miss any that you're like, this is really kind of a concern, I wish the church would, would, would. yes. Well, um, I'm thinking of somebody at my church and her sons are tired of, she's a widow taking care of her. And so, uh, I mean, she just had to move back home to our church and I mean, it's sad because mm -hmm. uh, her family isn't there to support yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. That would, to. and that would, yeah, that would be sad. I fortunately don't have that, but uh, definitely. So anyway, just to conclude, I, I want our time. I know, kind of press for that a little bit, I guess. You need seniors' prayers, their practical biblical wisdom, encouragement, and their presence. And seniors need to be more encouraging, open to reasonable change grateful and hopeful. We need to laugh at ourselves, and as Colin Powell said, get mad and get over it uh, when we think about that. So as far as mobilizing seniors, back there, I have two handouts. One is in yellow. It's called an action plan, maybe how you might develop a senior ministry. And the other one is green, and it's um, kind of suggestions to how to take the seniors and use them, mobilize them uh, in some way. Um, so thank you so much. I know our time is, is ending here. <laughs>